Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store, just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks for visiting. Hope the Word of God speaks to you today. Cut that one out. If you are, uh, oh wow, you, there's more of you. Some of you show up while we sing, and that's great. Um, so uh, if you have your Bibles, you can pull those out. Stick your finger in Revelation chapter 2. That's where we are going to be in just a few minutes. We have been in a series. Uh, let's see, hopefully this works. Oh, it does. Okay. We've been in a series uh, on Revelation for the past, mm, I think, two weeks. Two weeks in this series. And what we've been looking at is the seven letters of Revelation, the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches, the seven churches in Revelation. And the first week we looked at how Jesus has the authority to speak to seven churches. He has the authority to speak to seven being the universal number. He has the authority to speak to all of the churches for all time. And he wrote seven letters to seven churches to represent what was uh, needed to be said. So last week we looked at Ephesus. Um, it's the kind of premier city. It was the largest city. It was the first on a major, several major trade routes. It was like a beautiful city. Everybody loved the city. This is a pristine, beautiful, wonderful city, okay? We looked at Ephesus last week, and, uh, and God wrote to Ephesus, hey, some of the things you've done are great. Some of the things you've done are not great. You should repent, and it will all go well with you. Um, and that's kind of how it worked out for Ephesus. Not all of the things were great, But overall, Jesus said, I I love how you defend the truth, uh, but you've lost love. So if you can come back to love, it will be great. We will work well together. You can continue to be a church. If you don't repent, if you only have truth but don't have love, I'm going to take my light away from your church. You're no longer going to be a church for me. That was a strong word for Ephesus. Ephesus, over the course of time, really started to grapple with that truth. And if you read church history, and you might not, but I do, um, Church history will tell you that uh, Ephesus is the site of some great councils in church history, which helped us figure out what is the canon, what is scripture, what do we believe. And so Ephesus Ephesus really turned their hearts and became a city known by love and truth, which is really great. So they repented and they heard Jesus' words. Today we're going to move down the map, okay? We're going to move to Smyrna. Anybody ever been to Smyrna? Do you know there's a Smyrna in the United States? And I think there's one in Georgia, too. Um, So I thought that was weird because I wanted to know about Smyrna. And so I Googled Smyrna and things in the United States were popping up. I'm like, this is not the Smyrna that Jesus wrote to. So I had to do a little more figuring out. But there's a lot of Smyrnas in the United States in the South, just so you know. That's not the Smyrnas we're talking about today. We're talking about the Smyrna in Turkey, just about 30 some odd, 40 miles, uh, just outside of Ephesus. And this is the city we're going to be talking about today. Now, again, you don't know much about Smyrna. I didn't know much about Smyrna. We're going to do Smyrna 101, okay? Because in order to understand what Jesus is saying to the church of Smyrna, we have to understand the church at Smyrna and the city that they were living in and a little bit about the history. So um, Smyrna was, it's a really old city. I didn't realize this, but like there's like, you think Bible old, but then there's like old, old before the Bible old. So Smyrna was actually built by the Greeks in 1000 B.C., so this city is, I mean, it's ancient. It is, it's old, okay? This is a really old city. Now, um, uh, 400 years later, okay, so in 600 BC, 
Smyrna was destroyed, completely obliterated, um, and it, it kind of went through a cycle of they would build it up and then it would be just ransacked and destroyed, and then they'd build themselves back up again, and then it would just be destroyed. And so time and time again, they have this history of, we're a really great city, we're totally destroyed. We're a really great city, we're totally destroyed. And time and time again. So most of their early history was being built and then being destroyed, and they ultimately started off this um, rebuilding time as just little loose-knit communities in the hills and valleys around what is now Smyrna. Um, now, because of this history that they had of being built beautifully and then destroyed and then rising back up again from that destruction, their early cultural identity, um, you might say their mascot, if you will, was the phoenix. Okay, Are you guys familiar with the legend, the myth of the phoenix, the bird that... Um, you know, like gets destroyed by fire and rises up out of the ashes, reborn, okay? There's some beautiful symbology there. We're not going to go all there today, but okay. Needless to say, um, they have kind of taken the idea of the phoenix, this bird that was beautiful, and then when destroyed, rose again from the ashes, more beautiful. They took that as their cultural identity. We are Smyrna. We're like the phoenix. We will rise again from the destruction and the death that has befallen us. We'll thrive again. Now, the name Smyrna weird, okay, it's not something we hear too often, it's actually taken from the word myrrh, okay, so smyrrh, myrrh, not, okay, um, and it's in there, okay, and the word myrrh means sorrow, so they are taking this idea in their culture of there is sorrow in our past, we will rise again, now consequently myrrh is also the name of an oil, right, and it's used in burials, okay, because uh, it's uh, sorrowful kind of thing, okay. So, a little history there. Um, this is an artist's rendering of what Smyrna would look like. This is from kind of the top of a hill, which we'll see in a different perspective in just a moment. There's the uh, theater, which holds 20,000 people. Uh, there's an open-air market. Uh, and, and to this day, the open-air market is the only thing that exists. This city is still in existence today, by the way. Um, it's got a is, Izamar, I think is the name of it, in Turkey. And they just kept building on top of the ancient city. So you can't um, excavate the ruins. They're all like layers deep under city upon city that's been rebuilt, that's been rebuilt, except for the open air market. So you can go to um, Izamar, I think it's Izamar, and you can go downtown and they've left it open. The destruction and the you know pillars that have fallen the open air market is kind of cool to see. But other than that, the only way we know much about the layout of this city is um, through what's called... Uh, satellite archaeology okay i didn't know that was a thing it's a thing you can with satellite look down and you can see the land and how it was originally built even though buildings are built on it you can kind of see how things were laid out super fascinating anyway so they've taken that information and they've made uh, this little rendering of smyrna so you've got the the sea out there because remember you're you're uh you're on the water, just like Ephesus. It's a port city. But Smyrna was called the most beautiful port city. Look at this. This was a natural harbor that just kind of, it was a bay that kind of came in circular. And so it was very protected and very beautiful. Um, and it was a city of about 200,000 people, slightly smaller than Ephesus by 50,000 people. It was at the intersection of two major trade routes, this port right here, and then there was a river that ran up uh, through Ephesus. So there was a river trade route and this beautiful port, okay? Um, now, early on in Smyrna's history, when they were going through their cycles of uh, destruction and rebuild and destruction and rebuild, they formed an alliance with Rome. 
And this was before Rome was a power. So Rome wasn't like Rome. Rome was like Rome. And, uh, and so before, you know, this is the best way to put it. So before Rome became Rome, uh, Smyrna and Rome formed kind of an alliance. So as Rome grew in power, Smyrna was kind of under the wing of Rome, as it were. And they were chosen even above Ephesus. Now this is saying something, because Ephesus was like, we talked about it last week, a premier city in the ancient world. Smyrna was chosen above, Rome, or above Ephesus to be the location for the very first temple to Tiberius. So the first temple uh, to uh, an emperor was chosen to be in Smyrna because Smyrna and Rome had kind of been friends for a long time. So Smyrna, like Ephesus, was a center for emperor worship. There were temples to emperors, um, Roman deity worship. So if you go to uh, ancient Smyrna, uh, not just the temple to Tiberius, but over time, temples to other major emperors were built. And there was a lot of let's worship the emperors going on in Smyrna. Now, the city, uh, that's the, this is the view from the mountaintop. This is the view from the bay, okay, looking up to the mountaintop. So you kind of get two perspectives of the city. Um, this city had a huge mountain, and on top of the mountain was this uh, walled fortress area, okay? It was like the protected area of the city. And the outline of this um, fortress is you would come into the bay, and the sun was setting behind that fortress, it glowed just beautiful colors. I mean, you've seen beautiful sunsets here, right? So imagine this beautiful castle fortress and the sun setting behind it on this huge mountain. It was called the Crown of Smyrna because it looked golden when the sun set. And just, it looked like a crown, as it were, sitting on top of this hill. The Crown of Smyrna, okay? And from the east to the west in Smyrna, so from one side to the other, ran this, um, this street, which we might in modern days call Church Row, but it was called the Street of Gold, or the Golden Way. And from the east side was the Temple to Zeus. And on the west side was the Temple to Sibylle, who was the Roman mother goddess, the one whom all Roman gods came from. He, she was even elevated above Zeus. So you know Zeus is like Zeus. Well, Sibylle was like the mother of all gods. Okay, So you've got from east to west in this city, the Golden Road, the Street of Gold, a temple to temple, and along that road between Zeus and Sibylle were all of the temples to the emperor. So this is Church Row, as it were, in Smyrna. Now, what they came to call this street, the, the Golden Street, was also called uh, the Necklace of Sibylle. Because if you pulled into the port, you'd see the crown, and you'd see this golden necklace, this golden road streamed right underneath the mountain. So it looked like the mountain was wearing this beautiful, shiny necklace. So um, Smyrna was this very beautiful location. Needless to say, they worshipped false gods and they worshipped emperors while they were there. Um, the city was also known for its great library, its theater of 20,000 seating capacity, a concert hall, and a stadium. And it was known in the ancient world as the most beautiful city, even above Ephesus, which was a grand city, wonderful city. But Smyrna, the most beautiful city. Um, there's a guy from Smyrna, okay? I always like to hear about the city from the people who live there because they know best. His name is Aristides, okay? Uh, and he was an orator of the day. And you know, back in the day, they would go into the public places and they would orate about philosophy and stuff, okay? So he was an orator of the day, and he said this about his city. The abundance of her spectacles, contests, and exhibitions is beyond telling. And the variety of her handicrafts 
is, un, is beyond telling. Of all of the cities, this is the best suited city for those who like to live at ease. This city was beautiful. This city was known to be the place that you would go to recreate and relax and enjoy immense amounts of beauty. Um, now, it was also known for its athletic competitions. We are familiar with the Greek and the Roman sports, okay? This city had a large stadium, and it was known far and wide for its sporting competitions, its races and its weightliftings and all of these kinds of things. So this was where what CrossFit maybe got its start, right? Yep, totally, okay. Um, and so... Uh, Athletes would compete, and then the winners would be given what? Like in typical things, a crown of wreaths, right, around their head. So here's a coin from Smyrna. This is Smyrna coin. Um, you've got the wreath, right, which symbolizes all the athletic competitions that go on and the fact that they are victors. They consider themselves victors. They are the most beautiful city. They have risen from the ashes. They were on the brink of death, and they have come back like the phoenix. And then, on the other side, you've got this beautiful face of Sibylle, the mother god, wearing the crown of Smyrna. That's the outline of the fortress on the city mountaintop. This is the crown of Smyrna on top of the Roman mother god on the backside of the coin that says, we're the victors. This is how Smyrna identified themselves culturally. Now, Smyrna was a, heavenly, uh, a heavily pagan community like all of the other cities in its time. Um, there were many Jews who lived there alongside of people who worshipped false gods and who worshipped the emperors and so forth and so on. But the Jews who lived in Smyrna had this special relationship with Rome, right? Because Smyrna was kind of under the wing of Rome. And so the law of the land was this. Once a year, everyone under Rome's control had to go to the temple to the Roman people and take a smidge of incense and put it on the altar and say out loud, Caesar is Lord. And if they didn't do that, their property, their businesses, and their family were taken away and they were sold into slavery and put in prison. Uh, so everyone went to the temple once a year and did their little sprinkling of the incense and said, Caesar is Lord, um, except the Jews. The Jews didn't have to do that. They had this special arrangement with Rome so they could worship freely and they didn't interfere with the political things that were going on. So they lived parallel lives with uh, the folks that were pagan. Um, but Jews were exempt from this um, incense Caesar worship. However, Christians were not, okay? So when Christians entered the scene in Smyrna, there became this upheaval of political um, struggles because what once was perfect balance, we're going to allow the Jews to live their own life, but everyone else will worship Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord. Then Christians come on the scene and we're like, well, we're not Jews, so we're not, we're not worshiping like they worship, okay? Um, but we're not going to go to the temple and we're not going to put incense on the altar and say Caesar is Lord. And this caused a problem, not for Rome because they didn't really care, but for the Jews, because suddenly there was this little faction of people who believed something different that were causing problems for their perfect little system. So the Jews began to, over time, hate Christians in Smyrna. Smyrna Jews began to hate Smyrna Christians because it threw their life and protected privileges out of balance. 
So Jews were, not pagans, Jews were the strongest persecutors of Christians in Smyrna. This was like brother against brother or cousin against cousin. Jews were the ones that continually turned Christians over to the Roman authorities for imprisonment and worse because they wanted to worship their own way in the safety. Now, when you were arrested in Smyrna um, and put against trial against Rome's authority, um, you'd be put in prison. But they don't hold you in prison for penal reasons in Rome, okay? So what they would do is put you in prison and you would stay there until you were executed. That's how prison worked. It wasn't like you get off for good behavior or you go there for a few weeks and then you get... No, it was when you get sentenced to prison, you will either die in prison or be executed. So all of prison was death row. And Jews were basically seeking out all the Christians they could and trying to find a reason to persecute them and send them to prison so they could be executed and Jews could continue to have their nice little life in Smyrna. Now this is the setting that we are going to read about today as we read about the church at Smyrna. So if you will flip to um, Revelation chapter 2 starting in verse 8, that's where we're going to be. Um, And before we begin reading that, just want to remind you of The promise and blessing from Revelation chapter 1. It says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy. That would be me this morning. I'm going to be blessed for reading the words from Jesus to the church at Smyrna. It continues, And blessed are those who hear, that'd be you guys, and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed are you who hear and keep what is written in the word of the Lord. So, I'm going to flip to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, if you would stand for the reading of the word, we will read when I'm done praying. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the ways in which you speak to us across the generations through your preserved holy word that you have sent down through generation upon generation faithfully so that we might know who you are and who we are in relationship to you. I ask this morning as we read from your letter to the church at Smyrna, that we would have our hearts tuned to what your heart is tuned to. As we read about persecution, that we might begin to grapple with this in our own life in ways maybe we haven't, so that we stop turning a blind eye to what is going on in the world around us, and that, Lord, we might learn to stand strong in who you are and nothing else, Lord, just you. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. To the church in Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and who came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not, they're in the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. And this is the word of the Lord to you this morning. You may be seated. I find this so fascinating. Um, As I understand and began to understand the history of Smyrna, right, that we just talked about. And then I read, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, 
The words of the first and the last, the one who died and who came to life. That's Jesus saying who he is, right? Because to Ephesus, he said, listen, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, because he was about to say, I have the authority to be the light of the church and to take away your light, right? That's what he said to Ephesus. To Smyrna, he's saying, the words of the first and the last, who died and who came to life, he's saying, listen, you identify with this phoenix culturally, this idea of death and coming back to life, but I, Jesus, who am writing to you today, I am the first and the last. I am the one who died, and I am the one who came to life. That's just super cool. Jesus is like deep on so many levels when he writes to his church. So he was kind of hinting a little bit about what they believed culturally. And he was saying, I know you believe that culturally, but what you don't realize is it's me. It's not you who died and came back to life. It's me who died and came back to life. And I'm about to walk you through that path as well. So he starts in with some very clear things to the church at Smyrna. He says this, I know. When you're going through something tough, like in your life, isn't it comforting when someone comes up to you and goes, man, I know exactly what that feels like. I've been there. Like, I get that. I have walked this valley. I know what it's like. I have walked this. I have struggled through this. I've struggled. I've come out the other side, but I know. Man, I know, and so I can relate to you. And so as the church in Smyrna is dealing with, let's see, what does it say they're dealing with? Persecution, affliction, poverty. And though they are dealing with all of these difficult things, Jesus says, I know this, but you are spiritually rich. You might be in prison. You didn't offer the incense and say Caesar is Lord. They've taken away your property. They've taken away your jobs. They've taken away your family. You're in prison on death row waiting to be executed. You are so rich. And I know this. I know this battle. I have been there, Jesus said. I was the first and the last. I died and I'm alive again. And I know what you are going through. That must be comforting to the church in Smyrna. For Jesus to say the first thing, I know. I know, man. I know persecution. I know being on death row. I know what it's like to have everything stripped away from you and to be humiliated and yet to stand strong. I know what it's like. So don't fear. I know. So don't fear. Don't fear. I mean, Jesus continues, you will suffer. You will be thrown into prison. You will be tested. There will be tribulation. But don't fear. Can you reconcile those two in your life? This is, um, this is one of those spiritual lessons 301 and 401. It's one thing to say, I believe in God. It's another thing to say, my life is a total wreck. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this one alive. And yet, I will not fear because God is with me. Jesus is saying, I was dead and I'm alive. I've been through this. I can walk you through this. Do not fear. I am with you. That's what he's telling the church at Smyrna. Because remember, they're on death row. And it says they will be uh, tossed into prison by those in the synagogue of Satan um, for 10 days. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean a literal 10 days. It might have been 10 days for those specific people. Jesus is saying, listen... Your tribulation is not going to be that long. It's going to be short-lived, as will your life might be. Okay? It's not going to be forever. There is an end to what you are suffering. It will end at some point relatively short. But until the time that it ends, I will be with you because I know this road. Do not fear. 
The last thing that he says to the church at Smyrna, be faithful. I know this road. It's a little scary. Do not be afraid and be faithful unto the end. This is the third thing that he says to them. Be faithful unto the death and I will give you the crown of life. You will not be hurt by the second death. Time out, pastor. What's the second death? Okay, I realize I should probably deal with this one. Sometimes I get to talking and I realize, well, I spend time studying these things and maybe we should talk about first death, second death, okay? First death, we have a physical body, right? Like, hit me by a bus, first death, okay? And um, accepted Christ while I was alive, get hit by a bus, first death. Go to be with Jesus in heaven forever. Don't get second death, okay? Walk my whole life, don't love Jesus in my heart, have never repented of my sins and trusted Jesus, get hit by a bus, first death. Have not accepted Jesus while I was alive, second death. Judgment before the throne of Christ and sent away into eternal darkness forever. That is the second death. That is um, being separated from Christ permanently and forever for all time, okay? Um, there are only two eternities for humanity, heaven and hell, and the choice uh, that we make here on earth while we are alive determines where we will end up afterwards. First death um, and second death. Those who have trusted in Christ will not be hurt by the second death because Christ has covered our sins, forgiven us. And though life may be difficult for the folks in Smyrna specifically this morning, they might die for their faith, but they will die in their faith and they will be in faith with Christ the moment they take their first breath in heaven. That is the glorious hope that Jesus is offering the church in Smyrna. I know you're suffering. It's really bad. I have been there. I don't want you to fear what you are about to endure. I want you to continue doing what you're doing and be steadfast and praise my name and don't offer the incense to Caesar and praise my name and be thrown into jail. And I want you to do that and not fear. I am with you. You will see me soon. Love Jesus. Would you like to get that letter? You know, when it comes to the two letters that we've studied thus far, Ephesus and Smyrna, frankly, I'd rather be Ephesus. Right? I mean, I'd rather get the letter that says, there's some good things and there's some bad things and we'll work on it, than, oh, yeah, yeah, you're going to die soon. But you'll be with me. And frankly, my flesh is like, I don't know if I like that one. I like Ephesus better. I care. There's a task. I can fix it. I'm good to go about my life. But maybe that's the problem, right? Um, and so maybe the better letter for us is the letter, to Eph or the letter to Smyrna. When we read this letter and we can apply it to our lives. But I struggled with this because like Ephesus, I can look at my life and I can go, I can see where I've ceased to love people. And I know where I need to repent there and work on that. I got some... But... Um, I'm not persecuted, folks. Anybody persecuted to the point of death? No. Thrown in jail for their faith? Had their jobs taken away, their families put into... No, nobody? Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time relating to this culturally as an American Christian. Um, and so I was struggling with this. If this is a letter to Smyrna, great for them. But if this is indeed, as I believe it is, a letter to the universal church... What are we supposed to do with a message that says, stand strong under persecution even to the death when we're not being persecuted? How are we supposed to incorporate this message into our life? Um, 
So I want us to explore what Jesus is speaking to us this morning in this, in this scripture. Now, the first thing that we need to understand is we need to, just at blanket face level, um, embrace the reality of persecution. We live in a beautiful country, right? People have died for our freedom in this country. We can worship who we want to, when we want to, where we want to. If I want to go to church somewhere else, I literally just need to open the map of Ketchikan and point my finger and there's probably a church under it, okay? We have a lot of churches and there's no penalty for choosing a church in America today. But that's not the reality everywhere. And we don't want to live in a bubble that says, I'm happy and not persecuted, therefore persecution doesn't exist. But sometimes we live that way. We need to embrace the reality that there is indeed persecution. Historically, there was persecution, right? We read about Smyrna. You remember the story about Stephen and Acts who started preaching the gospel and they started stoning him right then and there while he was giving a sermon about Jesus. And then while he was being stoned, he said, I see the heavens opening and I see Jesus sitting in glory. And then he died and went to be with Jesus. Scripture says he fell asleep. That's a nice way of saying they stoned him to death for preaching the gospel. Now, if you read continuing church history, he wasn't the only martyr. Time and time again in history, there are martyrs upon martyrs who have faithfully endured for the sake of Christ all the way down through time. Now, I want to read just a documents of the Christian church. This says, when I got it in college, man, I never thought this is the book I'm going to go to time and time again. I love this book. It is one of the most great documents uh, that just summarizes Christian history for you. But in here is the story of a guy who was persecuted to the death in um, 155 AD, okay? So shortly thereafter, the time of Jesus, he was a disciple of John, who wrote uh, the book of Revelation, who walked with Jesus, who was one of Jesus's three, okay? John was one of Jesus's three, and then he discipled this guy, this guy named Polycarp. It does not mean many fish, okay? His name, his name is Polycarp, and he was the bishop of Smyrna, okay? And here's the rough, uh, the rough story of Smyrna, uh, of the bishop of Smyrna. Um, he was a guy who, from the time he was young, a child, loved Jesus. He was discipled by John. Can you imagine being discipled by the guy that walked with Jesus and was in the garden with Jesus and saw Jesus on Patmos? This is like, if you want to be discipled by someone other than Jesus, it's got to be Paul or John, in my opinion. I mean, those two are like... Yeah, okay, so he grew up under the teaching of John, and he loved the Lord, faithfully loved the Lord in Smyrna his whole life, became Bishop of Smyrna. Nobody ever said anything to him. Nobody ever did anything to him until he turned 86 years old. And then when he was 86 years old, he was arrested and said, you need to recant of this silly thing that you say about Jesus, take some incense and say, Caesar is Lord. And um, he said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that, you know? <laughs> no. Um, so that made the, uh, the prison guards a little angry. He started praying in prison, and the prison guards were converted while he was in prison. Then they took him to, <coughs> they took him to the proconsul, uh, the leader there, and they said, um, listen, uh, we want you to repent of this foolishness about Jesus. And he said, listen, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, Eighty and six years I have served him. 
and he hath done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme the king who saved me? Well, uh, the proconsul was not very happy about this, so they moved him into the stadium, okay, in front of, I don't know, thousands upon thousands of people. And the proconsul says, I've got wild beasts, and if you don't repent, I will toss you to the wild beasts. And this is what Polycarp said. Send for them. For repentance from better to worse is not a change that is permitted to us. But change from cruelty to righteousness is a noble thing. And then he tried to evangelize the proconsul in that moment. That made him even more angry. And so he said, listen, if you despise the wild beasts, I will consume you by fire if you will not repent. And I love these words right here. Polycarp answered, you threaten with fire that burns for an hour, and in a little while it's quenched. But you don't know anything of the fire of the judgment to come and the fire of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why do you delay? Bring what you will. Ha! Dude, that man is such a hero. He went time and time again saying, bring me your worst, because I am not going to recant of faith in Jesus Christ. So it continues in this story that they brought the fire to him and they had this big old pillar, you know, of wood that they would nail you to so that when you got on fire, you wouldn't go running away. And so they brought the nails out to nail him to this fire pyre and he said, I don't need the nails. He who has given me the grace to endure the fire will give me the grace to stand in the midst of it without nails. So they didn't nail him to the fire. They let the thing on fire. And uh, the eyewitness accounts say this, that he was not immediately consumed by the flames, but that he looked like gold refined in a furnace, not a man on fire. A little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego moment happening in the life of Polycarp. Ultimately, the fire did not take his life. They had to uh, poke him through with a sword um, while he was on fire because he was just glowing in the glory of God, because one of the reasons I love the song that we're singing, there's no place I'd rather be. There's no place I'd rather be than here in your love. He got it. Polycarp understood this idea of persecution and standing, standing firm in his faith, even to the death. Um, down through history today, we see persecution. This is a map uh, put out by Voice of the Martyrs as of this year. Um, <clears throat> There's a little circle up here that's South America. There's a couple of green countries, okay? Uh, the red countries through, and this is the, uh, the uh, 2040 window um, of uh, folks that need the gospel the most, okay? Um, the red countries are the restricted ones. Gospel's not allowed to be preached. It's just not allowed. Government says flat out no. You cannot be a Christian in these countries safely, okay? Red countries, completely restricted to be uh, a Christian. The light green countries right here, uh, and here, and here, and up here, and up here. Same between Nicaragua, by the way, I thought was interesting. Um, those are hostile countries. You can be a Christian, but it's going to cost you dearly to be a Christian. Might not be illegal, but it's going to be risky. These yellow countries, um, it's, uh, what's the word that they use? Uncomfortable, I think is what it says. Um, Okay, that might not be it, but it's, it's one step down from hostile, okay? It's, oh, monitored. Monitored is the word they used. 
They're monitoring. The state governments are monitoring Christianity. And if it gets out of hand, they're going to stop it. This is what our world map looks like today. This is where persecution is happening. Right now, this very second, in these countries, people are being put to the death for their faith. People are living out what Jesus wrote to Smyrna for their faith. We must realize that there is a reality of persecution, and we need to identify with the persecuted church. It's not enough to say, I got my freedom, praise God, I can worship freely. So sorry for those folks in the red countries. That's not me. We can't do that. We are one in the body of Christ, right? Scripture tells us that um, we are to identify with the people who claim Christ because Christ is the head and I'm like a pinky toe and someone else is an elbow and somebody else is an eyelash, right? We're all members of the body of Christ. Here's what it says in Hebrews. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in prison with them since you also are in the same body. We are without excuse in the eyes of Jesus. We must identify with the persecuted church. Can I get two helpers? Blaze, I volunteered you. I'm so glad. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Make sure everybody gets one, okay? Just pass them out as I'm talking. Um, These are little pamphlets uh, that talk about the top 10 persecuted countries in the world. It's a little fast fact about them, uh, tells you how you can pray for them, gives you a little snippet of information, puts a face and a name to the locations that need the most prayer, that are in the most desperate need of those of us who have the freedom to get on our knees and pray, to actually get on our knees and pray for the persecuted church. We are to do this. We are to identify with the persecuted church. So take those home, put them on your refrigerator. Every color is a different nation. So if you want multiple ones, just grab a different color before the day is out, okay? So we are to embrace the reality of persecution. Then we are to identify with the persecuted church. We must pray for the persecuted church. Um, then we have to evaluate our own compromise. So there you go. Um, that's what they look like. Okay? North Korea, by the way, number one persecuted church. Um, uh, we are to evaluate our own compromises. Polycarp facing death said, 80 and 6 years I have served him. How could I blaspheme a king who has saved me? Um, And we don't really face persecution in the sense of death and destruction and loss of property. Um, American culture, we make compromises in our freedom to exercise faith so that we stay comfortable. Right? So we might not have that awkward conversation with our coworker because we don't want to feel awkward. We might not invite folks to our house for Bible study because I don't know if they're Christian. I don't know if they'll like that. I don't want to lose friendship with them. We make compromises in our freedom to worship because we don't want to be uncomfortable. And we are literally stepping back from persecution because I don't want to be identified with Jesus. And that's basically what we're saying. When we compromise our faith, 80 and 6 years I have served him. How could I blaspheme? How could I deny? How could I compromise my faith for the king who saved me? I want that to be my testimony. We must challenge ourselves. Where in our life are we making compromises so that we are stepping back from our faith rather than stepping into our faith? Um, Lastly, there might be a time when we need to endure trials 
And when we do, we will endure them, knowing that Jesus says, I know, do not fear, and be faithful to the end. That's the call of a Christian. He knows our life. We are to not have fear, and we are to endure until the end. Scripture tells us this in Hebrews 5. In the days of his flesh, when he walked the earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications and loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. He knew what was coming. And he asked God, Lord, anything. If the cup could pass, I mean, if there is any other way. And he was heard because of his reverence. The way he spoke to God turned God's heart to him. Now, it didn't mean he was escaped from what was about to happen. It meant God heard his prayers. God said, I know. Do not fear. I will be with you. Be faithful. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. This is Jesus' story. He endured the ultimate persecution. And he suffered and died and was buried and rose again for us. So that we might have salvation. How could we? How could we have anything else but the same followership that he set the example of? Oh, that we could endure like Jesus did, like Polycarp did, like Stephen did, like the disciples of old did. Oh, that we could see in the American church that we could wrap our brains around suffering as an exalted and high calling which draws us closer to Christ rather than something we backpedal from and go, I don't want any part of that. Jesus said, I will have all parts of all of that for all of the people, for all of the world, for all of time. And then when you profess faith in Christ, he says, now take that up and follow me. And we are not guaranteed the same fate as Smyrna, but we are to live as if every day could be a Smyrna-like day for us. We could lose our job, our family, our anything. Something bad could happen, and it doesn't matter whether it's persecution at the hands of someone against Christianity, whether it's the world that comes against us, or things just happen. We are under tests daily for our faith. Are we going to dig in and endure with Jesus, even to the death? And that's what we're being called to, to be faithful. So I want us to ask that question. How are we compromising our faith? When it comes to this, how can we become like Smyrna, standing strong no matter what happens? As I close in prayer and we prepare for communion, I would ask the ushers to come up and and help me serve. Um, And as we pray, just evaluate in your heart. Ask God to reveal to you what kind of compromises do you make on a regular basis when you have been given such great freedom? And as the elements are passed to you this morning, we'll listen to the song, It Is Well. You guys are familiar with those lyrics, right? They'll roll through your head as the piano plays. Remember, this is our story. It is well with my soul, come what may. It is well with my soul. And as you receive the elements, I ask that you just hold them so that we can partake together. Father, we ask that in these moments, as the elements are distributed, as we're speaking with you softly in our hearts and our minds, and as we're praying, Lord, perhaps maybe our first prayer is drawn towards that pamphlet in our hands of that country with men, women, and children who faithfully love and serve you and are being poured out to the death for it. May their faith not be in vain, Father. May it spark a fire in that nation that spreads 
Lord, we know that where the church is persecuted the greatest is where it grows the fastest. I don't want persecution in my life, but I want to grow like you. So come what may, Lord. Grow me to be like you, even if it means enduring stuff I'm not quite sure how to endure. So I run to you instead, and I say, 34 years you have served me. How could I deny you? Well, Lord, maybe our heart is turned towards ourselves, and we realize, oh, we've made some compromises, and I'm a little timid in certain areas, and I'm not quite sure how this is going to work out in my life, and I'm not sure I have enough faith to do this. And Lord, would you increase our faith this morning? Would you speak to our hearts and show us those areas that we've made compromise, and would you speak gently but strongly and say, I know, but do not fear, just be faithful, because you're with us through all of this. Lord, we give you thanks for the way that your son has lived and died and lived again for us. That we might receive eternal life with you, Father. That we might pursue to the crown of life, which I don't think Jesus was being any more clear than he could be with the city at Smyrna who claimed the crown of Sibylle. The crown of Smyrna the glorious thing that they loved. And he said, that's nothing. I will give you the crown of life. Not something that will fade over time. May we run this race, Father, to embrace the crown of life. At the end of our race, may we see you in heaven and may you give us a crown on our head that says, well done, faithful servant. And then we take that crown right back off and say, it's yours all yours, Father. I can't wait for that moment. I hope it's a long time from now, Father. But even if it's not, and my life is poured out for you, I pray that all the glory would be yours. May we be on fire for you in the most passionate way possible. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor pray this in your name.